Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of DPH Clinical. I am joined by the guys from Colorado Surgical Institute, Dr. Tahir Dune and Dr. Dan Brisky. In our last episode, we said that we were going to get to three things. We got to like 20, and then we said we were going to come back and we are going to talk about, because we only did one, and we were going to do two and three, and then we talked about it after the mics went off, and we just decided we're just going to move on to another topic, which is... Brisky, what's our topic? Yeah, an important one that I like to talk about is how to actually reduce unnecessary post-ops when it comes to surgery. Because what I feel like happened to me in the beginning is when you do surgery and you're a little bit hesitant, your hesitancy, part of it is going to say, I want to get the patient back every week, (laughs) right? I want to make sure they're doing okay. But in the meantime, you're killing your schedule, right? You're having all these post-ops. You're not getting any profitability from these in your schedules now just being overrun by post-ops. So we want to talk about how to decrease the amount of post-ops that you are unnecessarily scheduling. And one of those, you know, I had a moment, a wake-up moment, a humbling moment for me like two weeks ago. I did an implant bridge, a lower anterior one, and both of the implants failed. During the implant bridge process, I just had this bad feeling about this guy. And usually I'll do my post-ops. I'll do it at two weeks, six weeks, and 10 weeks. Like I do three of them for an implant. But this one, I actually scheduled one at each week. I did a one week, two week, three week. And at the three week, all of them failed. And I was like, oh my God, like what if I didn't schedule the post-ops here? So I think part of this whole process not only is how to decrease the post-ops, but it's also like, how do you recognize some of these problem patients and the ones that may not actually be healthy or the ones that you know might go down the street to the Chinese buffet and ruin all the sutures you just put in or are going to go home and pull their lip out and then show their wife or husband, hey, look what I just got done. And then they tear all the sutures out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you have a Chinese buffet by your office? I don't think so. I don't remember last time. It's a very one. specific example. You know what? You go. You want to just stay away from that place? <laughs> <laughs> I remember the reason I said that one is when I was first learning to do grafting, I had a patient. I mean, when we're younger, we're not that great at explaining the post-op, like the things you can and can't do. And I had this woman, I remember her saying this to me, she came in literally the next day, the graft was completely gone, sutures were gone. And I said, hey, like, what's going on? What happened yesterday? And she said, oh, I went to an all-you-can-eat buffet yesterday after the procedure was done. And that had always stuck with me in the back of my mind, like, oh my God, this lady thought it was okay to go home and eat literally from a buffet and stuff her face right after a surgery is done. But guess what? It's my fault. I didn't actually say to her to decrease the amount of things that she's doing, right? So she thought that was okay. And she ate $200 worth of bone graft. You always, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all I said was, I'm sorry. And I Not your cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in college, we had an old country buffet, and it just didn't matter what you got from there. You just covered it in nacho cheese. It was like, damn, like, say, just for nacho cheese. Just went to the machine. It was the best. <laughs> so, yeah, you were saying about the post-ops, I think. we. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, if you can decrease the amount of post-ops in your practice, I mean, you're going to save money, right? Envision every time someone comes into your practice, you're burning 100 or 200 bucks. Every single time they walk in through the doors, when it's not a scheduled appointment, 
And then on top of that, you're losing your credibility. And so we actually had this happen recently. She was the daughter of the mayor of our town, ex-mayor of the town, had a phone graft just going south, came in and has been talking to all her friends, everyone she knows. She's that connected person. And then I have a conversation with her. I kind of explain what's happening. And she's like, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have talked to everybody already. I'm like, okay, well, I appreciate that. And I won't use her real name, but I appreciate that, Susan. However, why don't you do me a favor and go talk to everyone again? But you have to resolve these things early. And if we didn't resolve it early enough, we could have had her come in and just remove the graft right away. Instead, we kept throwing antibiotics at it and then hoping that it would get better. And sometimes you just got to call it a day and say, hey, the graft is your body is not accepting this graft. Let's take it out. Let's start from scratch and let's just get the job done. So again, it can affect the goodwill of the practice. But then one thing that is really the number one reason why I think these post-op issues happen is the patients don't take their antibiotics and you don't scare them enough to tell them how important antibiotics are to take. And number two, the suturing is not tight and you need sutures to hold all this grafting in. You got to hold the space, even though some cases, you know, you get ready or not even suture it. Just get really, really good at sutures because the number one failure is incision line opening around these things. And that's actually what happened to that bridge, the implant bridge I did. A uh, patient came back in a day that I wasn't there and they had an Essex sat. But guess what was up with the Essex? It was cutting right into all the gums, like blatantly, like grossly over contoured. And no one, the doctor there didn't check it at all. Just shoved it in their mouth and said, good luck. And I had all the implants fail because of that. It was... Not an irritating day, but I didn't say anything about it. I just said, you know, we'll try it again. <laughs> and then uh, you mark it up to the implant gods and you, and you move forward. What would you have done differently with the post-ops? You said you'd post-opt every week and you said you wish you could have done something different. What do you wish you could have done different besides being there for the aspects? It's just looking at the patient's health too. Like this guy, pretty uncontrolled diabetic. He, he's generally healthy, but he's just chronically ill. So it's someone that you're looking at and you're like, hmm, you know, history of just bad teeth in general will continuously lose teeth as long as he goes because the oral health just isn't there. You can tell with all the drugs they're on and they're not really watching their health and their diabetes is questionable. It may or may not be controlled based on the month. So for people that that, I just have started to learn to just not trust them. And I'll bring them back way more often to reinforce the things that they can and can't do is what I like to do. So you kind of scold them or you pat them on the back when they're having good behavior. <laughs> kind of scold them with the bad behavior and pat them on the back with the good behavior, but just keep encouraging them, right? Because you want this person to I don't know, actually heal well for you. But I think over the years, you started to really find out who that person is and those warning signals that tell you that you can definitely have some issues with healing. I think a general rule of thumb to follow is Age is relative after a certain year, after a certain decade, after 40, or even after like 50, let's say, because everyone's like looking younger, or maybe I'm just looking older and everyone looks younger because of that. But either way, I got some 70-year-olds who are in better shape than my 50-year-olds, and I got some 50-year-olds who just look really unwell for whatever reason. And if you got someone who's relatively young, and you're like, man, you look like a decade older than you, you are from your DOB, potentially bring that person in for more post-ops because understand that there's some comorbidities in the background for that person. Yeah, it's so true. I would agree with your original statement that I think it's about 40. 40, yeah. I think 40 is when the gap starts to get wide. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I got some buddies who they're completely head, beard, everything, all white hair. And it looks like they've just been chronically smoking for like 40 years. And then I got some people who are 50 who look like they're 32. And it's just wild. It's just really intriguing to see like what consistent maintenance of someone doing something with discipline over the years really translates into. And that person with discipline is going to probably take better care of their implants than the person without typically speaking. Yeah, that's a good thing to look for. I like that. Paul, what do you think in all of our full arch classes, guess what the number one complication is? Mm, I'm going to go suture line opening, but I don't know. Yeah, bingo. Yep. That's the biggest one we see. And even when I was learning to do zygoma surgeries, guess what they had us do before? They sat us down and they made sure we could suture, right? It was like I had a bunch of doctors in the room and it was a humbling moment for everyone because they're like, hey, so is how you suture. And they're like, show us a bunch of different knots and you had to do the knots correctly, right? And guess what? Several people couldn't suture correctly. They got a lot of different tips, right? But these are docs who've done thousands of full arches at this point. So I think we all just assume that we're really good at suturing. I really find that's true. And I'll catch myself sometimes as well, right? And needing to say, hey, focus, right? Focus. This has to be great suture. Because one of the biggest reasons why we have all these post-ops is because of the suturing. I know it sounds simple, but it's not a simple thing to learn, especially with full arch. We actually we have check marks in our full arch classes. And the last thing we do before we start doing all the digital scans is, well, Dr. June and myself will go room the room and we'll kind of tug on the suture to see if there's too much slack, uh, to see if we think there's going to be an opening. And in at least half of the rooms, we'll go in and we'll clip the sutures. <laughs> and no, then they're like, oh my It's God. like dental school all yeah, over again. Yeah, they're like, oh my God, you removed all the sutures on us? I'm like, yeah. Then you show them how it's supposed to look correctly. Then that clicks in their head, right? But then you just save that person. I don't know how many nightmares of implant restorations because you showed them how to suture correctly. I think in dental school, they would say, you suck. You're never going to be good at this. I don't, can't even believe you're in school. <laughs> I can't believe, you, I can't believe yeah. you got this far. That's what they would say, but... But Brisky says, hey, I'll show you how to do this. Yeah. Come here. Yeah, Come definitely. Here. Okay, so you get done with the case, and you feel like you're done, and now you got a suture, and you're tired, and you take your eye off the ball, so then you just don't like spend the time needed to get the case done from a suturing perspective. But tip number one is when you tie that first tie down, make sure it's not inverted on itself. Make sure that the knot and the first tie is actually tying down appropriately. I wish I had this on video to show. But it's very simple. Sometimes you just got to switch hands and make sure that that first tie ties down all the way. And then for whatever reason, it depends on the suture you're using. If you feel like you're getting like loose ties, when you do the first tie, have your assistant just put a cotton plier or something right on top of the knot like we're tying a shoelace and then move to your next tie. So you can ensure your knots get down all the way. Uh, If you do those two things, I can't guarantee, but I will put some money on it that your suturing improves drastically just by those two little tips and tricks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's got to lay flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit easier to suture with a suture like PGCL or a glycolon suture or a PTFE over something that's a little bit stickier, like a chromic. I feel like sometimes when I tie a chromic, there'll be a little bit of tension in it still, if I'm not paying attention or even like a PG, like a micro suture sometimes like that too. I'll get that little feeling. Nylon usually is okay, but I try to stick to sutures that I know are going to tie down nicely and have good tension stuff. So like a PGCL or a glycolon or PTFE suture, I like. 
Yeah, I just try to PGLA or that Vicryl Ethicon stuff. And it's a really nice suture, but it does not tie down as nicely as the PGCL. And that's in my hands, and that's we use this stuff all the time. So if you guys are out there, I like the 3 8 reverse cutting suture, PGCL 4-0. That's kind of like my workhorse. What is a typical post-op sequence that you like to do, Brisky? So we're trying to reduce the amount of post-ops that we're seeing our patients. So for implants, I'll do a two-week. And then at the two-week, I'll take a look. Then I have a decision tree. And then I go one of two ways. Either I go there and I look at it and I'm happy with the result and the patient's listening to me or the patient is not listening to me. If the patient is listening to me, I book them out usually another month. So I'll do a six-week. If they are not listening to me, I'll do another two weeks after that, just to kind of reaffirm or scold them, <laughs> right? And based on how things are going. So when they're healing well, I'll do two weeks, six weeks, and then I'll do like a 10-week visit. Ever since we started using Relevance Online Marketing, I could see a drastic improvement in our SEO. I mean, we are ranking so much higher when searching for dentists in our hometown. We are seeing more new patients and certainly someone you should give a, give a look at if you're considering new marketing companies. Just absolutely awesome. I would recommend Relevance to any practice owner who wants to see what proper marketing can do for their office. I want to thank Dr. Paul Etchinson for introducing me to Relevance Marketing. They've done a great job, very thorough. I'm happy with the results. Thank you guys for all of your help. We never truly realized how powerful this could be. It's really changed our business for the best. I think they're definitely worth every penny. Easy to communicate with, easily accessible, does what I ask, and even shows me some reports when things are going a little bit off track and what they're doing about it. You know, it's just a level of service I just haven't really received from other marketing agencies. Since we've been using Relevance, we've seen a tremendous growth in our business. I would recommend their services to just about anybody. Search engine optimization uh, and getting your ranking on Google to be the highest it can possibly be. The efforts uh, by Relevance and their team and the efforts and the things that they've done with the, uh, the SEO as well as the social media. Highly recommend it. So what are you waiting for? This is Dr. Paul Etchison telling you to get a free consultation with Relevance. As a listener of the podcast, you get the first month free and there is zero obligation to continue if you aren't blown away. Make this the year you grow your practice to the next level. Go to RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com to set up a free consultation. That's RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com. Let's rewind though. Like, what kind of things would you do at this? You mentioned at the two week, if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, everything's healing good, you'll see them back at a six week post op, four weeks later. If they're not doing everything good, you'll explain the post ops and what they're supposed to be doing, but do you do any intervention of any sort? Yeah, 100% if we need it, especially because if it's open, you got to reclose it. If they're getting food packed around it, you got to rinse it out and show them how to actually rinse it out, right? Because you'll have some people that'll lift their lip up and they just tear the suture out of there like crazy. So a lot of post-op patient education. And I feel like I was really guilty of not doing a good job about this part, about educating my patients. Even with wisdom teeth, I felt like with wisdom teeth, I would get a lot of patients that would come back and they would point fingers at me and say, hey, it hurts. It hurts around the fourth or fifth day. I'm like, well, that's actually because you had food stuck in there. <laughs> so nowadays when I explain the post-op to a patient with wisdom teeth, I tell them to, I always say is, you know, once you have a tooth taken out, it leaves a hole and that hole will fill with blood. 
and they could dislodge the blood clot by forcefully spitting or sucking through a straw and doing all those things. And if a blood clot does come out, that leaves an empty space or leaves bone exposed, which is called a dry socket. And I tell them you have to keep things clean and they have to do gentle rinses. And when I say gentle rinses, I show, I basically tilt my head side to side one time really slowly, like this side to side really slowly, but not an actual swishing. Then I let them know if you had, they have any pain at the fourth or fifth day. I joke about it and say, hey, you probably got food stuck in there, but you're welcome to come back and I can help you fix that. But I feel like if you don't say some of those main points, the patient is going to think that it was you who did something wrong with the surgery and not them for taking responsibility for getting food stuck in it. Or, right, because with gravity, food's going to go down. It's going to get stuck in that hole. <laughs> so they got to get it rinsed out, right? But no one did anything wrong. I just think it's just a patient communication thing. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like when you go to Mexico and you get the upside down margarita where they pour uh-huh. the tequila yeah. and, like, and they, sh- they shake your head. Mm-hmm. It's like you're not swishing, you're just moving your head. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure you're going to have a complication doing it that way too. Yeah, yeah, don't take it. So then, okay, so we're coming back in the six-week follow-up. Everything is looking good at the two-week. What are we checking for on the six-week? Are we now taking an x-ray? Actually, I want to piggyback real quick off what Brisky said. So if there's food or anything that they have done around anything that post-surgically, take a picture of it, and then when you fix it, take another picture of it, and then show them. Show them what it looks like without food. Show them what it looks like sutured up a little bit better. So that way they have an understanding of before and after. They have contrast in their mind, but also you have records. Because it's human nature to think that it's somebody else that created your pain and your problem. Like, oh, it never hurt till you touch it. Well, you're like, yeah, obviously, I guess. But it's human nature and psychology. And then also what I do is to save my time, I actually will tell the patients in the beginning, it's going to be a good thing if you don't see me until this tooth is ready to go onto this implant. What that means is everything is going really, really well. And you're going to see my team and they're going to show me everything. But if I come in the room, typically that means something's going on. So we're going to have a bad conversation. And then at every post-op, it's my DA is taking sutures out and taking the pictures and taking the x-rays. And I'm just working in some other op doing something else. And they show me stuff and I don't have to get eyes on it because it all looks good. And they get the scans and they show me everything. Now, again, it's everyone's own comfort level with, what that does, if you're brand, brand new to the game, maybe you go check all your work in the beginning. But as you get more experience, you know, start to implement some of these efficiencies into your verbiage and into your practice. So then you can be as profitable as possible. And you're still doing the patient a good service too. Sometimes I would see Dune go into a room and just say hi, just so their blood pressure would spike and they think something was wrong. <laughs> I <laughs> think they are in the middle. Oh my God. So they go and they're like, an oh, he's so attractive. Power move. And then the blood pressure increases. Yeah, I, I see that. I, I believe that. I, believe that. I was going to say, you know, when you see these complications, if you are checking on them, like, make sure that your system is seeing those. And like, this is what we're looking for. This is what we're kind of keying into. Because I do the same thing as you do. And I'm not doing the level of surgery as you guys by any means, but. Most of my surgical post-ops, like implants, and I'm not going in the room at all. They're checking it, and they say, okay, we're going to have the doctor take a look if there's something they want me to see. If there's everything looks great, they just say, hey, it looks great. We're going to schedule you for your next one. Yep. Yep. You got to learn how to run a very profitable, efficient business. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to what I just asked you there, Brisky. Mm -hmm. Like, what is going happening at that six-week? So two-week, it would be the same exact thing as a six-week, basically. I like to get a bite wing for the bone level 
and I like to get a PA to see the apex, to see what's going on, right? Because you could have something crazy going on. So I'll just do a PA and a bite wing and an intro or a photo. And then I'll have the DA come back, show me all of them. And then we just give them the thumbs up or the thumbs down and we'll go in there. If there's food impact around there, that's when I'll go in there and I'll say, hey, not looking the best. You can see some irritation around this area. Like I need you to do a better job. Or at that point, I sell the patient. Same thing, just do and does tell the assistant to say, hey, we'll see you in another month. Things look awesome. So that six weeks should be really fast appointment. Should be like a 15 minute appointment. They come in, quick x-ray, picture, show it to us, thumbs up and goodbye. Yeah, I'm slightly different recently. So I was doing that for a long time. Just recently, I'm testing out a theory. So, and I haven't had a bad experience yet, but just so the listeners know, I haven't like done this for years. I'm bringing them back at the two week, but then eight weeks later. So eight weeks post-surgical, I'm putting my scan body in. I'm getting all my x-rays like Brisky had and the pictures. So that way I'm confirming the seat on the scan body, getting my PA, my bite wing, and I'm grouping together that x-ray appointment, that second check and the scan because companies, labs are taking so long to get my implant crowns back to me. It's still four to five weeks, sometimes six weeks later. So by the time I'm delivering it, I'm still at that three-month integration marker. I'm curious. So at two months post-op, you'll touch an implant. You will screw something into it. Oh, yeah. Now, again, if it was like mashed potatoes when I place the implant, I'm waiting longer. Or if they're on SSRIs, I'm waiting longer. So some caveats, but it's like, dude, if I got like 30 to higher torque on that thing, yeah, I'm okay. Brisky's mouthing 50 for the podcast. I'm saying what I do privately, (laughs) privately in my own private practice. And everyone who's listening is like, yeah, start in the beginning and do it at 50. 50. (laughs) He'd be like one of those little disclaimers where somebody talks really fast. Yeah. (laughs) All the fine print at the bottom of this podcast. 50 50 Newton centimeters. Mm -hmm. And I like the eight week visit. I actually recommend that for everyone that's starting off in the beginning. I recommend people placing implants first to do two and then either a month or six weeks, depending on when the patient could come in and then doing it eight weeks. And the reason why you're doing the eight week one is if you have a stable implant, the implant will be not retrievable because it will become integrated at the eight week mark. So let's say something goes south, right? Like you have some kind of freak bone loss issue that's happening. You can actually just unscrew the implant at eight weeks. But at 10 weeks, that thing is getting pretty solid. So you don't want to accidentally have to refer this implant out now to have it removed due to an issue. And I like to call that my safety visit. A safety check. I can make sure things are going every going really well. Thumbs up. And then the next appointment is for the final impression. And at that appointment, at the eight weeks, you're giving them the fee for it. And then you're booking them for their next appointment, which is actually the final impression. Awesome. Well, talk about what classes you guys got coming up. I know everything's filling up, but you guys uh, open up anything in the fall? Like what's going on? Yeah, we have a, we might be full on the June course. If you need June, reach out. I mean, there might be like one or two ops open depending on when this podcast kind of goes live. After that, we have our August course and then a September one. And do we have one in November this year too? I think we do. One in November as well. That one's full arch. Full arch in November. And then we have our IV sedation course kicking off. And so we have an anesthesiologist who um, just happens to be my brother who wrote the curriculum and he has a wealth of knowledge in terms of like just everything that has to do with anesthesia. So he wrote the entire curriculum with that. So we have our anesthesia course kicking off in July. The first two courses are going to be 
virtual. And then we'll do the in-person mannequin one where you review ALS and all that stuff. And then the fourth one is going to be your live patient clinicals. And we are going to coincide with one of our wisdom tooth and single implant courses. And then also the cool thing is by the time all of this kind of comes to fruition, our new uh, 12,000 square foot teaching facility will be ready. So we'll have the conference rooms, we'll have the new operatories, everything is going to be dialed in and it's going to be really, really, really cool. So anyone coming for courses after June are going to come into our brand spanking new facilities. I'm pumped about that. Nice, nice. I might have to make a visit. I got to see the new place. That's great. Yeah, man. Hey, doors always open and we'll hook you up with the Paul Etchison discount. Yeah. And I'll also find someone. It better be zero. That's what I was saying. I didn't want to say it like out loud on the podcast, but we got you covered, buddy. You heard it. You heard it, guys. <laughs> on Saturday night, I'm going to find someone to give Paul a tequila shot and shake his head. <laughs> yep. Yep. Follow it up with a Dan Brisky tickle pick. And then, then it's, a, it's a complete weekend. All right. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you all in two weeks. All right. Thanks, Paul. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Dune from Colorado Surgical Institute. Just wanted to give you guys a shout out and let you know about the program. We have full arch surgeries. We have lateral sinus lifts. We have block grafting courses all done in one weekend with the whole digital workflow with photogametry units, scanners, 3D printers, milling, you name it. Anything regarded to full arch, we cover in depth. We also have a PGCA course. What that is, it's the Postgraduate Clinical Accelerator course where we are going to be covering wisdom teeth, single implants, and it can be complex single implants with vertical sinus lifts. We'll also be covering full arch extractions with ridge reduction, bone grafting, PRP, suturing, and we also will have a course on socket preservation. So if you guys are interested in any of those courses, please reach out to us at Colorado Surgical Institute. The code is HERO10 for 10% off our courses because we love Paul Etchison and his podcast, and we're here to help.